Your state. Your team. Your show. This is Sports Nightly. Mills now in the backfield. Two wideouts to the near side. Stole the tight end in motion. Turn. Fake the handoff. Adrian keeps it himself. Coming to the near side. Adrian to the five. Adrian Martinez in. Touchdown, Nebraska. Adrian Martinez finds the end zone from 10 yards out. Oh, baby. Sports Nightly is presented by the NDOT Highway Safety Office, who reminds you to buckle up and put the phone down. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Here we are back for another week of Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Hope you had a good weekend. Another rough one for the Big Red. We'll get into that certainly tonight and as we get ready for what should be the first home game of the year with Penn State coming to town on Saturday. The head coach did have a press conference today. We'll hear some clips from what he had to say looking back at Saturday's game, breaking that down some more, and then starting to look ahead and get ready for another clash in the Big Ten. So we'll have some clips of that coming up here in this hour. It is Mondays with Matt. Matt Davison will be along in hour number two, along with Adam Rittenberg, who was in attendance Saturday night for that classic game between Clemson and Notre Dame. We'll hear from Adam, get his bird's-eye view of that one as he was in the press box for that uh, clash between those ACC Titans, at least ACC this year for Notre Dame. We'll have our weekend rewind and our winners, weekend winners coming your way in hour number three. As always, phone lines open and available to you at 531-500-4686. That also doubles up as our U.S. Cellular text line, same number. U.S. Cellular, proud to be the official wireless sponsor of the Huskers. U.S. Cellular connecting Husker Nation. Well, Ben, I know you covered a lot of this on the fifth quarter with Jeremiah on Saturday, but you've had a couple of more days to digest the 21-13 loss at the hands of Northwestern, a game in which Nebraska outgained the Cats 442-317. to Turnovers were even at two apiece. Nebraska scored 10 points off turnovers. Northwestern didn't score any off turnovers. Both teams missed field goals. And yet it was the Cats who prevailed by eight points and go to 3-0, and and the Huskers fall to 0-2. In some ways, similar to what we've seen really over the last year and a half with this Husker football program, not a bad effort. The effort is there. The execution gets sloppy at times. The lack of discipline with the penalties at times hurts this team. And those two combined keep this team, this program, from winning games. What uh, what do you make of Saturday's performance? Yeah, I mean, I, I feel like right now I'm just in, living in Groundhog's Day. You know, I feel like this is an, another Monday where we're – Sitting and having the same conversation, I feel like you could probably just re-rack our thoughts on the last eight games Nebraska's played and the comments that we make today and throughout the week could be applied to so many games that this team has played in the last year, year and a half. Um, and that's what's frustrating. And I get it. I, I understand why the, the fans are frustrated. They They expect better execution. They expect Nebraska after uh, essentially a bye week to – not have penalties before you snap the ball on your first three drives of the game. They, I mean, they expect, um, you know, just better football. And I, I understand it. I get it. I understand the frustration. And look, I, I, I think part of the frustration, Greg, comes because we know this team's talented enough to win. This team's, this team's good enough to win games. It's not good enough to, to do what they're doing and win games. But, for example, the Ohio State game last year, it was hard to to come onto this show and say, you know, if we would have only done this or this, we would have won. Um, but that's the case in so many other games, and that's why it's frustrating. It's because, you know, if you're not doing the things that we talk about every single week, you're winning a lot of these football games. And I don't know how you turn it. I, I, I honestly don't because – Obviously, the coaches are talking about penalties. They're talking about focus. They're talking about all the things that, you know, good fo- good, mistake, good fo- mistakes that good football teams don't make. And yet we talk about it every Monday on the show because we see it. I talked about it in my pregame show. I'm sure you talked about it in yours. I know we talked about it on Sports Nightly about 
not making dumb mistakes and just focusing and doing the little things to win games. And in the first two drives, we have three penalties, you know, a, a, a false start penalty. And like, why are you moving? Why are, why are you jumping? You know, you, you know what they're going to try and do pre-snap. You watch it on film. Your coaches are telling you there's no crowd noise. Like, I don't understand how these mistakes just keep happening. We're holding at the wrong times. You know, where, where your guy's not even involved in the play and you're holding a guy 20 yards away from the ball. I I think the biggest disappointment to me, and we're going to talk about all the things that happened in the game that allowed Northwestern to win by one possession. But like I told you earlier today, what I've been thinking about really since the game got over um, Saturday night, all day yesterday, and even today, the frustrating part to me isn't necessarily that you know you lose by eight to Northwestern. It's that you lose the game, but you lose the game in a year in which this could have been a monster year, and still could, I, I suppose, but this could have been a monster year for Nebraska to rise up and change the national narrative on your program. And so many other things are happening around our conference right now that are allowing Nebraska, teams like Nebraska and Northwestern and Purdue to make a statement to make a statement and and to go do the things that you're striving to do as a program and take that next step. Wisconsin can't get on the field. Iowa just won their first game last week. They're one and two. Minnesota just won their game first game at one and two. They still have to play each other and play Wisconsin. The door was wide open for Nebraska to just kind of take a hold of this thing and 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 get over that proverbial mountain and kind of announce yourself to the league. And I don't want to say that opportunity is completely gone. But you're certainly feeling a lot different today had you beat Northwestern at one and one, a division opponent with everything still in front of you. That's that's where I'm I'm disappointed is you had a real chance to to send Pat Forty and Nicole Auerbach and everybody else that's made a neg- Paul Feinbaum that's made a negative comment about your program, that's given you crap the last few months for buried your team. To, to make a statement to them, to say, this is working. We've got a guy here that knows what it takes to win. We're starting to turn the corner. You know, we're taking on a Penn State team this week that's 0-3, and who knows? Maybe if we win this week, we could win the rest of our games. Instead, we're having the same conversation that you and I have every single Monday about the things that Nebraska has to do to win. And, yes, Saturday presented us some new circumstances, and, um, you know, every game does – to get to this point but the fact of the matter is you know special teams took a step back we're missing field goals we're uh field position was awful when it didn't need to be tackling was sloppy in the second half uh couldn't get the running game going our red zone was brutal um you know all the things that we've hammered home the last year are issues that we're going to talk about again tonight and talk about again all week and who knows maybe even talk about a week from now i just i'm waiting for the team to take that next step and I don't know when it's going to be, but you know you don't have very many opportunities this year to, to rewrite the ship. First downs, Nebraska doubled up Northwestern, twenty-eight to fourteen. Again, outgained them by over one hundred and twenty-five yards. But then you talked about the special teams. Two of the three Northwestern touchdowns were set up by short fields. The opening kickoff of the second half, Northwestern brings it back to their own thirty-nine. So four, there's a fourteen-yard advantage they get there instead of. Them having a fair catch it or stop them at the 25 or less, they get it to the 39, they go 61 yards. Then in the fourth quarter, you punt the heck out of the ball, but you kick it to the wrong hash mark. They bring it back to your 44. They only have to go 44 yards to get a score. Short fields matter. It mattered in the first half. When Miles Farmer had the interception, took it down to the four. Nebraska immediately punched it in. That's Short fields is where you get points when you're playing a good defensive team, and Northwestern is certainly that. And you talked about special teams. It was really disappointing. You're going to miss some field goals. I, I get that. Northwestern missed one as well. Colt missed one. He's now three or four in the year. I'll take that. But in the net punting department, Nebraska 27.6 yards was their net yards punting. 27.6. Northwestern's was 44. That's a 17-yard difference. And that's just empty yards you're giving another team. And in a close, tight game, 
that's going to make the difference. And, and you're right about the missed opportunity. In fact, I opened last Monday's show about what a great opportunity the Northwestern game was going to be for that very reason, because two of the stalwarts in the West in Iowa and Minnesota were 0-2. You had a chance to really go put yourself in the race and should have been extremely excited to play. And I'm not saying the guys weren't. I think they were. I think they were fired up. I think they played with pretty good emotion in the game. But, the boy, the penalties and the – Mistakes just get frustrating to watch week in and week out. Liked what I saw from some of the young guys, man. I mean, Marcus Fleming had a terrific game, five catches. Marvin Scott, I think, is going to be a real factor in this running back room for a while. Xavier Betts came on and made a couple nice grabs in the second half. But that's all kind of secondary because what should be first and foremost, did you win the game? And again, we sit here on a Monday, and the answer is no, we didn't. There's always going to be think positive things that happen for the most part in a 60-minute game, especially in a, in a game that's one possession. And there is. You mentioned a number of the bright spots. Luke Reimer was a flipping stud on Saturday. I think you really saw Ty, Ty Robinson, the potential he had. Um, you know, I just think I, – I do think that there are a lot of positives. You know, I think at one point in the second half on our offense, Greg, we had six freshmen on the field with mm-hmm. Luke and with Marvin, with Betts and – Ben Fleming and, and the Ben Hart and, you know, the Piper. lineman. The, mm-hmm. I, I just – there are positives. Don't get me wrong. But ultimately what this game comes down to is executing in crunch time and making those winning plays. And we just haven't done it. And, you know, the defense played great, I thought, on Saturday. The one touchdown that we score is, is set up on the four-yard line. And it just – too many times, and Coach Frost addressed this today, we're sitting here with 400-plus total yards of offense and less than 20 points. I mean, I don't know how many times this has happened, but you've got to find ways to stick the ball in the end zone. And I don't know I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's going to take to, to make that happen, why the red zone offense is so difficult. And, again, you have to give credit to Northwestern. It is a solid defense. They're, they're a steady, solid group. But so are we, and, and so are our offensive-minded coaches, and so are the pieces that we have on the field. We should be a tough unit to stop, too. And I, I just feel like we, there's a disconnect somewhere. I don't know if it's a mental thing. I don't know if it's play calling. I don't know if it's all lack of execution. Maybe it's a mix of everything. But too many times in the last year and two games have we gotten inside the 20, inside the 15, and even inside the 5 or the 10 and not scored. I mean, how about that Purdue game last year, Greg? Darian Daniels gets the pick, and we're inside the 5, and we settle for 3. I mean, this happens way too many times, and it and it's and it seven, 3s instead of 7s cost you games, especially in this league. And, again, we're, we're kind of feeling the wrath of that. It's just uh, – I don't know what it is, and you know, I don't, I don't know what it's going to take. Penn State is a team that is really licking their wounds right now. Their team is is kind of falling apart. If you were to listen to their post game comments from their players after that game with Maryland, I mean, it's that that place is a disaster right now. And you know, you kind of feel like something's got to give on Saturday, and you just hope that we play a little better than they do. Six trips into the red zone for Nebraska, they got one touchdown. Six trips, one touchdown. On our text line, guys, coaching matters. Scott Frost had some real head-scratching play calls, specifically in the red zone. Get your playmakers the ball. The red zone is an issue for this team. On, also on our text line, why wasn't Omar Manny on the field more, or was he just a non-factor on Saturday? I still think it's a work in progress with Omar. I mean, they obviously aren't opposed to putting young players and new players into the program out there because Marcus Fleming played an awful lot. Alante Brown got a lot of snaps out there. Xavier Betts got on the field. I guess, I'm guessing a little bit here, Ben, but I think Omar's just not quite, maybe he doesn't have it all grasped in the playbook to be out there more. It, that's got to be the issue. Coach Frost, I think, shed some, some decent light on that today, saying, you know, we can't even give some of these players their full game plan right now because they're having a hard time grasping it. And, you know, as coaches, we got to worry about what play calls are we having with what personnel groupings. Think about how, how difficult that would be 
to gauge, right? You're a coach, and you're going, you're looking at your sheet, and you're going, okay, in second and medium, okay, what do we got? Okay, we got this play, this play. Well, do they know this? You know, can we send these guys out there, and they know the right spot? That's so much information to have to process in a 10 to 15 second span, and then get your right personnel out there. On you just can't do that. You, you can't do that as a coach. If if you've got guys out there that don't know the plays and you're limited in what you're calling, you can't put them out there. I don't care how talented they are. You can't spend, especially in an offense that everybody wants this offense to run, tempo, 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 fast, fast, fast. Well, if you've got one or two guys on the field that require a trip to the quarterback to get to ask them what they're supposed to do, kind of negates the whole idea. So I get it. People want to see Omar Manning. I want to see Omar Manning. He is potential to be a difference maker in this offense. But if he doesn't know where to go, where to line up, and what to run – and the, coach, and the quarterbacks don't trust him to be in the right spot, what good is he doing really? Get somebody out there that knows what to do. And, and so just you got to be patient with it. You don't, you don't want 10 players out there and a ghost. you know, you, you got to have 11 guys out there that are making the play work because it takes 11 to make a play work. So we just got to be patient. He's obviously not ready. Dale and Hastings, I see progress in the defense. For the most part, they aren't losing the battle at the line of scrimmage. It's the offense that doesn't look to be making progress as they keep making the same mistakes. Talent looks good enough to win, but seems when something goes awry or we get punched in the mouth, we don't reciprocate. Let's not forget the defense because it's been much maligned the last couple of years. That was a winning defensive effort on Saturday. Should they have gotten off the field there late in the game? Maybe. They couldn't pin them deep. They got a, Northwestern got a couple of first downs and, and bled the clock a little bit more. But all in all, you hold a Big Ten team, a good one in Northwestern, to 317 yards. You've done a pre- And you forced two, tur- two turnovers. I think you did a pretty good job defensively on Saturday. And you had three three and outs. There was only one time, Greg, where, where I felt the defense may have let the team down. And that's when Northwestern committed the penalty and they had first and goal at the 15. I mean, that's a really tough spot for an offense to be in. First and goal at the 15, and that's the that's the play that Riley Lees ended up scoring on that same drive there at the end. That was really the only time I felt the defense let the team down is because right. you, you've, got them, you've got them first and 15 at the 15-yard line. You've got to make that stop. You've got to find right. a way to make that stop. But, again, you know the, the, the punt return takes them to the 40. You know They only had to gain 40 yards of offense. So they had a really well – schemed up executed play on the first drive for a long touchdown run and they had two short fields that's all they got on you all day you had three three and outs you had a couple sacks you had a couple turnovers you did everything that you need to do especially when you're an offensive oriented team that defense should have done plenty for for nebraska to win that football game and unfortunately um just just couldn't get it done all right let's go to scott frost he uh uh, had his press conference today. He was asked about those penalties on offense, what he made of those. Yeah, you know, I've said this a bunch, but our margin of error isn't big enough right now to to overcome those things. Um, that was the emphasis all week and our message to the guys, um, what we emphasized in practice, and we, we still had too many. Uh, there's been too many drives where we start first and 15, uh, because we jump off sides. Uh, they were shifting up front. That cost us a couple. Our guys got jumpy and moved when they uh, yelled shift and, and moved. Um, but that's a focus thing and that's a discipline thing. And um, you just as an entire football program, we got to get that fixed. Very frustrating to see those penalties so many times first and 15 for the Huskers when they get a new set of downs. How about red zone efficiency? We brought that up already a couple times tonight. Here was the coach talking about that from earlier today. Well, we got to work on it. We, work, we worked a lot on it uh, this past week. I, again, I, I give a lot of credit to Northwestern. I, I think at the end of the year they might end up being statistically the best defense in our league. Um, you know, it, it wasn't just us. Uh, Maryland scored seven on them, I think, and has been lighting up the scoreboard since. And Iowa uh, didn't score a lot of points and scored a lot the next week. So it, and there's no doubt it was a really good defense, and a lot of the credit goes to them. Um, man, there was about six or seven plays where just one thing went wrong, one missed assignment, one missed block, um, and we would have punched those in. But uh, those are things we have to fix the coaching staff. And let's not lose let's lose sight of that too. That's a that's a solid solid football team. That wasn't just some rummy team on the schedule for Nebraska. That's a team that right now, if I had to bet, I'm going to say they're going to win the West. 
because I don't think Wisconsin's going to get enough games in. I think Northwestern's probably in Indianapolis playing for a Big Ten title in about six weeks. That's a pretty solid team. And against solid teams, you darn near need to be perfect to get things done. Yeah, and you just can't, especially a team like that. And that, and that's, I think, what to me added to the frustration a little bit is Northwestern and Nebraska were dang near even in penalties. They gave you two turnovers. They did right. things that were out of character for them to lose, to help lose games. The problem is we didn't capitalize. In fact, we matched them in, in every area. We talked about, you know, the missed field goal. Each team missed a field goal. You know, we make, we make ours, they miss theirs. You make up three points. I, I, it's just you, you have to learn to take advantage of, of those mistakes and be the team that just accepts them. When Miles Farmer picked that pass off, we're like, okay, you know, here we go. Last year, kind of the same deal with Northwestern. They made some mistakes that, you know, they don't typically make, and, and you just have to be able to, to capitalize and take advantage of that, and it doesn't help when you're first and 15, first and 20, third and 27, you know, when you when you have the ball. You just you got to find ways – to capitalize when your opponent gives you a break and make it make it hurt, make it pay, make them pay for it, just like they do to your mistakes. The coach was asked about: Is there an urgency with this team, and where's their confidence level now? Two games into this year. Well, I think they realize that's the situation they're in. Um, sooner or later, the scoreboard is going to show it. There's no doubt in my mind how much progress we've made. Um, we just needed to turn it into to wins, and uh, that that game Saturday was as frustrating a one as I've had here because uh, we we had opportunities to to be in control of that game. Uh, we could have won the game, maybe even should have won the game. Um, you know that wasn't like playing some other games where I felt we were just outmatched talent wise. We weren't in that game, and um, the guys are impatient, just like I'm impatient to to get this changed and. Um, I keep saying it, but once it turns, it's going to turn in a big way, and uh, we need to ha- have that happen um, soon. All this falls on the head coach's shoulders. He gets it. He understands it. He was asked today how much pressure is he putting on himself right now. Too much. Um, you know, I'm always going to point my thumb at myself and not not the finger uh, at someone else. Um, state of Nebraska means so much to me. Um, this program is everything. That this is my life right now, and doing everything I can to to get this where everybody wants it as fast as possible. Um, it certainly uh, hasn't gotten there as quick as I want it to, but I, I haven't, haven't for one second lost hope uh, and belief in where we're going and what we're doing. And just being around it every day and seeing the progress, seeing the talent that's been infused into this program, seeing us be competitive. Um, again, it's about turning the page and finding a way to win a game and then getting on, on a roll and getting some momentum. And uh, I think once that starts to happen, we have all the, all the pieces in the program that we need to, to win and, and win at a good clip. Um, but nobody's more impatient uh, than I am, and nobody's, uh, nobody's put more pressure on, on themselves than I am. You know, to me, Greg, I, I saw a tweet over the weekend from somebody that, that was comparing – wins and loss records from Scott Frost to Mike Riley in their first few years. And I understand clearly that the, we live in a results-driven society where, you know, you, you've got to produce where it matters in, in life. And, and in this case, in football, it's the scoreboard. you got to produce where it matters. But you're fooling yourself. If, if There's a reason why we're, we're frustrated. There's a reason why you and I come on here after a loss or blow up each other's phones when we get, when we get home from a road trip or whatever, um, in frustration. It's because we we know we can be better. I mean, mm-hmm. we see what's out there on the field, and and these are games that that we should win. That that clearly with our eyes, with our coaching, with our players, with our fan support, with everything that w- we should be winning. You know. With Mike Riley, you could tell that you they were just outclassed, and and they just the physical domination that took place in the fourth quarter. Like when Devino Zigbo told us in, in an interview over the summer that it was hard getting through a 60-minute football game. Like how could you ever expect a team like that to win to win a game? You know what I mean? Like the, 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 the where that program was at, 
the, you weren't even that disappointed after a loss because you knew they just couldn't hang. You just you just knew it. And and we talked about it all the time that there are so many things that have to get better for Nebraska to compete on the field. A lot of those things have gotten better. They you know they they physically can get through a game. They've recruited the speed and the talent. They have the schemes to do it. It's just for one reason or another they can't get there. They can't cross that hurdle they keep shooting themselves in the foot that's why we're frustrated is because we see everything that's happening in the four walls of the program and, and you're looking at them go there's no reason why this team can't compete in the west that wasn't the case under our last head coach there was you know there were plenty of games where like we just don't belong on the field with these guys and that's why we're so frustrated they have making the strides they have done it but at the end of the day it's a results driven business and where the results matter on the scoreboard that's the last thing but it's the biggest thing that needs to come time now for the weekly breakdown what a memorable first game at home in the big 10 conference with color analyst and former national champion all the games played for this historic program, all the great rushing days that we've seen over the years and way beyond my lifetime, and we've seen the best one here today against the top 10 team. It's Mondays with Matt Davison on Sports Nightly. Well, Coach Frost said earlier today, probably the most frustrating game he's had as Husker head coach. How frustrated were you at the end of that one on Saturday? Well, I think everybody was. I mean, you, you go back and watch the game we have the last day or two here, and, and there were a lot of opportunities that were missed. Yeah, a lot of trips to the red zone. You, you throw two picks in the end zone, essentially. Um, some false starts that hurt drives. Um, you know, Pat went into their territory, I think, eight times. And and especially when, when you look at the fact that the defense played so well, Greg, and got two turnovers, and one of them ran it down inside the five-yard line. We ended up punching that one in. But the defense did their job. And, uh, you know, offensively just needed to be more efficient and get, get more points, move the ball pretty well, over 400 yards. And in the end, that really doesn't matter because you got to put points on the board. And, and we just didn't do a good enough job in the red zone. And that's really what the game came down to. We were playing one of the best defenses in the Big Ten. I think that's obvious. A uh, really good group of linebackers, really sound on defense. They they did some things that I don't think we were expecting and and really made it tough. And and so, you know, a really frustrating game to go back and watch the, the number of plays that maybe would have changed everything. And maybe you only need a field goal at the end instead of a touchdown. I mean, just a lot of plays in that game that you wish you had back and unfortunately we've had a few games like that and um, over the last couple of years and and so it's frustrating but at the same time I, I think the guys see uh, the improvement that we've made the coaching staff sees it I think the players know it um, I think we're a tougher football team I think on both sides of the ball and and up front we're doing a good job and so, you know, we just have to execute what we're supposed to do offensively and not turn the thing over and, and put ourselves in more positions to try to win these close games. How big of a role did you think special teams played in the game? Well, it hurt field position for sure. You look at the uh, first drive of the second half and Northwestern's able to run it out to the 40-yard line and it just gives them a little shot in the arm to start that drive from good field position. And, and then the punt return was big as well. Um, you get a 56-yard punt, but it was a bullet down the opposite hash. And so the coverage team wasn't down there and, and uh, they get a big return there and get points. So. You know, it was big. We missed a field goal. They missed a field goal too. But, but, you know, we we made two field goals and missed one. And, and I think we only netted 27 yards a punt uh, on the five or six punts that we had. So, you know, not good enough. There was wind involved in in a couple of those punts. But, but still, you know, we have to get better there. And hopefully, we can get that fixed. Matt Davison's with us. It's our Mondays with Matt segment here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Well, we saw both quarterbacks Saturday. Luke seemed to, to kind of pick things up when he got in there, made the mistake in the red zone with the interception. It was down there. It looks like it may be a real competitive week between those two. Take me back to your playing days because you had a year where it was kind of Bobby Newcomb or Eric Crouch or Eric Crouch or Bobby Newcomb. How, how, how does that play in a locker room with teams? 
Yeah. Well, remember Monte Cristo was in there as well in 98, yeah. and we kind of had all three going through there uh, that season. And, and you know, I think the guys on the team, you know, you show up to practice every day and, and you, you get yourself ready, right, no matter who's under center. And I was a part of those teams where we went through it. And, you know, whoever's there under center or, or in the shotgun, whatever it is, you, you uh, prepare for whoever's going to be there. And it's not it didn't affect me as a wide receiver, really. Um, I just knew I needed to get myself ready to play the game. And I think that's what our players will do this week. And and we'll see how everything lands when we get to Saturday against Penn State. But uh, the good news is we have good depth in that room and a really good room of, of young men that that are competitive and Everybody wants to play, and, and that, those are good things. So um, it's good to have options there. We saw some young wide receivers make their debut or get a lot more involved this week than they did against Ohio State. What did you make of their play? I thought overall played really well. I mean, you could see the speed and athleticism that they bring to the field, and we just have to get them more reps and, and get them in the game and really to throw them in the deep end, I guess you might say. Uh, uh, kind of happened to me as a freshman when I was yeah. here. I don't know that I was totally ready to play, and Ron Brown just said, "Hey, go play," and and you know, got in the game early, first game my freshman year, and and um, you know, I hate to talk about me in that way, but it's it's pretty similar. These guys have only been on campus a few months, and they got into the game on Saturday and did a good job. You could see how they can stretch a defense. Um, I could not stretch a defense, by the way, but but these guys sure can. And Marcus Fleming did a good job, and Xavier Betts, and and Elante Brown. Uh, those three guys are are young guys that are new to the program, but they bring excitement to the offense. And so I think you'll see more and more of them as the season goes along. And Omar Manning obviously has a ton of talent, and we just got to get him more involved as the season progresses as well. But those guys bring a lot to the to the wide receiver room, that's for sure. Staying in that room, Coach Frost got asked about this today as well. Wandale's number of touches haven't been very high. I think he ended up with uh, four catches on Saturday. What about trying to get one the ball more in different ways? Is that you think that'll be a priority moving forward? For sure. I, yeah, I don't think there's any question about it. I think the coaching staff is just as frustrated as as uh, the team is about that. We understand how important Wandale is to this team. He's a really talented young guy and We've all seen the things he can do when he has the ball in his hands. And so the more touches we get for him, the better football team we're going to be on offense, that's for sure. And it probably hasn't happened as much as we wanted it to the first couple of games. And and so it has to be a priority moving forward for sure. And I think part of that, too, is, you know, where we get him the ball and who else is on the field and, and how we uh, scheme to try to get the ball in his hands where he can make something happen. So. Uh, I think there's a lot that goes into it, but it, I think it'll definitely be a priority moving forward. What do you make of Penn State? I mean, a lot was expected preseason top 10. Here they are 0-3 and just looked pretty hideous against Maryland on Saturday. Well, what do you make of the Lions? It's been a really weird year, huh? I mean, they're a talented football team. I think you look around college football and there's been a lot of crazy scores that I don't think anybody thought within the Big Ten and also across the country. Um, it's been a strange year with, with the start times for different teams and different amounts of practice each each league had leading into their season and opt-outs and all sorts of stuff. Um, COVID misses uh, with players out. So uh, I know this, Penn State has good players. They've recruited really well. Um, they're 0-3. And they're probably, you know, a much better football team than 0-3. Than so it's going to be a big challenge for sure. It'll be nice to play here at home. Um, here we are almost middle of November, and, and we're going to finally play a home game. So that'll be good. Wish we had our fans here, but it'll still be nice to play um, in Memorial Stadium and hopefully go out and get on track. I mean, had a good chance to win last week and didn't get it done. And just really need to get a win under our belt and get confidence and and move forward the season's going to go quick i mean there's no off weeks we're already middle of november and and we're going to squeeze a lot of games into the next 40 days or so and and hopefully finish the season strong all right we'll have a good week we'll see you at the stadium on saturday all right greg thanks mondays we love to Get a feel for what happened over the weekend in college football. None better to do that than Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Adam, good evening. What was it like being at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday night for that classic? 
Yeah, it was awesome, Greg. It was first game in person, as you know, that I've seen all season. And, you know, it, you know, definitely different going in there with uh, with no crowd, and pretty much, and then obviously a small crowd filled in and uh, just an incredible game. You know, you, you got a sense early on that Notre Dame was ready to play and that uh, you know, Clemson was going to be right there too. I mean, DJ Uagalele, uh, how many quarterbacks would love to have him as your backup? I mean, he is an unbelievable talent. So impressed with what he did, the most yards ever passing against the Notre Dame defense. And it still wasn't enough because Notre Dame, tremendous resilience down the stretch with Ian Book leading that 91-yard drive to force overtime. Then Clemson punches them again in that first one, that first possession. Notre Dame scores the next two touchdowns and then gets a stop to win the game. So huge moment for Notre Dame. It was really one of those games, Greg, that I think both teams can come out of it feeling pretty good about what they were able to do. The surprising thing to me was how Notre Dame controlled Clemson's running game. How, how impressive was that in person to see, and did that surprise you? Well, you, you knew that you know with with Trevor Lawrence out, that Notre Dame was not going to let Travis Etienne beat them. You know, Travis Etienne. A lot of coaches in the ACC regard him as the best overall player in the conference, and uh, I, I credit Clark Lee and that Notre Dame defense for really keying on him and making sure that if Clemson was going to win the game, they were going to have to throw it uh, with a young quarterback. And it nearly it nearly backfired, but I still think it was a smart strategy not to let uh, ETN uh, get away and, and obviously pay a lot of attention to him. A lot of guys in the box uh, never really got going from a, a running standpoint. He did contribute as a receiver, but um, yeah, I think Notre Dame you know, just wanted to uh, wanted to take him out of the game as much as possible. He had a very rough first half. You remember he yeah. was the one that they kind of coughed up the ball for the for the defensive touchdown for Notre Dame and um, played better in the second half. But it's kind of amazing that you know neither Trevor Lawrence nor Travis Etienne was a big factor, and yet Clemson had a great chance to beat Notre Dame on the road. Just shows you how talented they are overall, uh, even on offense w- without those two guys uh, being factors. Is there any way you think that both of those could make the playoff in the end, or is just whoever wins that ACC title game going to get the bid? Well, I do. I, you know, again, I think the, the way to do it is if Notre Dame goes undefeated and, uh, and then plays Clemson, that, that is one lost team in, in that game. The committee has to consider the fact that Trevor Lawrence wasn't on the field. Uh, neither were several key defensive players for that ball game on Saturday. And uh, and then you know you play a second game, and if Notre Dame's competitive and Clemson wins, I think Clemson's in as the ACC champion. Notre Dame would be in as a second team out of the ACC. I mean, well, obviously a lot has to happen elsewhere, and what happens in the SEC title game, and where's Texas A&M? But I, I think Notre Dame would have a stronger resume than Texas A&M if uh, even if they lost that ACC title game. Right. Let's go to the SEC next. Surprised at all by the the way the Florida Georgia game unfolded. You know, not entirely. I mean, was, uh, certainly the score and just how, how easily George, uh, Florida moved the ball uh, was surprising because you just don't see Kirby Smart's defense struggle that much against anyone. But you know how talented Florida is. I had an SEC coach tell me on Sunday that, you know, Florida's got three players who are as talented as any in that conference, including Alabama. And he's talking about Kyle Trask, Kyle Pitts, the tight end, who's going to win the Mackey Award. And then uh, uh, Copeland, uh, an outstanding uh, re- receiver for, for Florida. And so, you know, Georgia was down a lot, down a lot of defensive players. Uh, George Pickens was out, one of the better receivers. And so you just got that sense, Greg, that if Dan Mullen was going to get Kirby Smart, it needed to be this year, and he was able to, to deliver. And now, uh, barring a, a big surprise, I think Florida will, will make its way into the uh, SEC championship game. Adam Rittenberg is with us from ESPN.com. We're talking college football from the weekend. The Pac-12 has now joined the party. Any early impressions from week one there? Who caught your eye? Well, I think Oregon was impressive. Um, you know, I knew they were going to be good defensively. They'd taken a big step last year under Andy Avalos. Uh, a lot of those guys, uh, especially in the front seven, were back. I know they had to replace uh, some key secondary players, and that's going to be a storyline to watch as they face some better passing offenses. You know, Stanford didn't have their quarterback. Uh, Davis Mills because of uh, COVID issues. So 
Um, you know, they'll be tested a little bit more later on in the season. Oregon will. And then USC, you know, a, a kind of crazy game um, that they were sort of able to steal from Arizona State. I was impressed with uh, the defense from Herm Edwards. And Marvin Lewis is the defensive coordinator. I don't know how many people mm-hmm. realize that of Arizona State. Um, you know, he hasn't been in college for many, many, many years. But I think you could see the effectiveness of that defense un- until the very end of the game when, when USC found a way to get it done. USC, Greg, still plays with a messiness, a sloppiness that bothers me because we all know they're the most talented team in that division. But you look at their path the rest of the way, and they'll be heavily favored to win out and get to the Pac-12 championship game where uh, you know Oregon could be there or, or somebody else from the north. Adam, two non-Power 5 teams that continue to impress are BYU and Cincinnati, and I know it's probably a long shot for either one of them to make the playoff, but, man, I thought BYU really beat up on a, a decent Boise team, and I know Boise's got quarterback issues, but those two programs keep kind of trucking, lot, trucking along here in 2020. They do. It would almost be fun to see them both in a New Year's Six Bowl or you yeah. know, they can't get in the playoff. You, you, don't, you can't count out. Uh, especially Cincinnati, but it's just a shame that, that we're not seeing them against Power 5 competition. You know, BYU's normal schedule, including this year, is, is loaded, usually front-loaded with Power 5 teams from the Big Ten and the Pac-12 and, and some other leagues, um, and obviously they didn't have any of that this year. So um, they are such an impressive offense uh, with Zach Wilson. I think he, he's one of the, the three or four best quarterbacks in college football, and they just piled up points in bunches all year long. And then Cincinnati uh, defensively has been outstanding. And then they've been uh, an improving offensive team with, with Desmond Ritter at quarterback. And you know, I think Luke Fickle is, uh, is really the, the number one option in the group of five, as far as head coaches and a guy that, that may, may move up, I think will move up at some point, but uh, he, he has just done an outstanding job at Cincinnati the last three seasons. Again, visiting with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Not a real juicy weekend of matchups. Maybe one of the better ones is in the Big Ten with Northwestern heading down to Purdue. The, the Boilers didn't play last week because of Wisconsin's issue, but that looms to be a pretty big game in the West, particularly with Wisconsin up against the wall, a number of games played. Right. No, it's going to be really interesting because if Purdue wins, then, then they're looked at as, as maybe the primary challenger to Wisconsin, but unfortunately they can't play Wisconsin. You know, if Northwestern wins and Wisconsin beats Michigan, you know, that sets up a game the following week in Evanston that might be for the Big Ten West Division title. Um, you know, Northwestern, as you know, has gotten it done with defense. They haven't allowed a point in the second half in their first three games. Um, they've done just enough on offense. They should get Isaiah Bowser, their starting tailback, back this week. Rondell Moore, we're still waiting. You know, that hamstring issue that – sidelined him for most of last season is still an issue, unfortunately. Um, But with the time off, he he has a chance, I'm I'm told, to get back this week. So hopefully he's on the field for Purdue. We know they can throw it around. They're really going to stress Northwestern's defense. Um, And uh, it should be a really good one on Saturday night at Ross-Aid. COVID looks like it's rearing its ugly head. Well, we already have a couple of cancellations for Saturday and some games that look like they may be on the fence. No doubt. Yeah, the SEC being hit uh, especially hard with the uh, Mississippi State-Auburn game already uh, canceled, and then everyone's now watching, or postponed, I should say, uh, everyone's watching um, Alabama and LSU. Unfortunately, LSU, you know, just in talking to some people in the program last week, they were already very close to that scholarship limit that you need to reach in able to play a game. And this one person told me, listen, if we have any sort of COVID issues, we're probably going to be wiped out. And unfortunately, they do. Um, now, they haven't called that game yet as far as postponing it or, or what have you, but uh, I think it's, uh, it's certainly in jeopardy at this point uh, of being played, which is a shame, even though LSU's down this year significantly. That's one of the premier games on the calendar, uh, whether it's in Tuscaloosa or in Baton Rouge. So certainly be watching what's going on in the, uh, in the SEC. Fortunately, in the Big Ten, other than Wisconsin, knock on wood, it doesn't appear like any teams are in, uh, are in serious jeopardy of having to uh, having to, to cancel games. The Pac-12 is another league to watch uh, with, uh, with Utah's issues, with, with Cal's local issues. They unfortunately had to uh, cancel their game against Washington. So, so, so definitely some, some, some areas to watch in the Pac-12 as far as COVID. Yeah, darn it. Um, game days at, at Augusta. They're going to let you come down and yeah. talk some golf with any of those guys? Oh, I wish. I wish my, <laughs> my colleague Mark Slabaugh, who covers college football so well for us, also does golf, and he, he's down there. He said he's got a whole house to himself, and he 
he took his COVID test and he's good to go. And so it definitely dealt with the mark and all of our colleagues, but it'll be fun to see the game day uh, set at Augusta. <laughs> definitely different, different year with no fans and everything, but, uh, but glad that they're a part of it. Yeah, it'll be cool. Adam, we appreciate it. Thanks so much. Enjoy the weekend. You too. Thanks, Greg. See the game last night? Which game? Any of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way, and so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. Well, a very football-heavy Weekend Rewind, which is just fine by me as we await hoop season to come back. I did see a tweet from the NBA Greg that it had, or not from the NBA but it was about the NBA somebody put out about shortest length of off season with all of the professional sports I think the NBA is taking like 72 days off or something like that it might not be right. exactly right but shortest off season of them all yeah it's they're such an odd because as we and this was part of our face-off questions last Thursday eight of the 32 teams haven't played since March so they're gonna have had like nine months off but then you have the Lakers and the Heat that played up until October. So, yeah, for them, it's going to be tight. I would I would imagine with at least those two franchises, maybe they they don't overload them very early with many games. I think that would be the fair thing to do, wouldn't it? It makes sense, but, you yeah. know, we've seen scheduling be botched in other areas or yeah, leagues true. Um, at some point in time. But, yeah, so lots of football. We'll go ahead and dive into finals from the Big Ten over the weekend, starting first. In Columbus, third-ranked Ohio State beats Rutgers 49-27. This thing was a way bigger blowout than the score indicated. 35-3 at half. Buckeyes were rolling. Greg, Justin Fields, 24 of 28, 314 through the air, five touchdowns. He has more touchdown passes than incompletions through three games. It's crazy. He's playing at such a high level. It's just remarkable. Buckeyes 3-0. And by far, in a way, the favorite to win the Big Ten Conference. Yep. Boy, their rivals, the team up north, sure isn't playing well on the road at Indiana. Hoosiers trying to remain unbeaten. Indiana got a free play here to the end zone. Michael Penix goes. The ball caught out there. And again, Ty Freifogel with a catch. And what a grab for a touchdown. A 24-yard score. Really not particularly close. Hoosiers were up 24-7 at half. They end up winning 38-21. Tumultuous times in Ann Arbor. Their beat writer thinks that, their columnist thinks that this could be the end for Jim Harbaugh at the end of the year. One and two, still some really tough games still on the schedule. Not looking good if you're a Wolverine fan. No, it's not, and I don't know that this is all that shocking what we're seeing out of Indiana. Do you, Ben? We, I mean, we were pretty high on them coming into this year, and I don't know that we saw them beating both Penn State and Michigan, but I think they're pretty darn solid. How about this number, Greg? Michael Penix is 8-1 and one as a starting quarterback Ooh. at Indiana. Goodness. <laughs> Goodness. That's impressive. That is, yeah. that is getting the job done. Speaking of getting the job done, you could say Iowa did that against Michigan State this weekend. Here comes the punt. Oh, this one's returnable. Low-line drive. Charlie Jones at his own 46. Goes right to left. Now down the near hash mark. Wide open territory. 30, 25, 20, 15, 10. Inside the 10, 5, goal line. Touchdown! Touchdown, Iowa! Touchdown, Charlie Jones! A punt return touchdown and an interception return touchdown for Iowa in the second quarter. They're up 35-zip at the break over Michigan State. And, boy, Mel Tucker, for as exuberant as he was last Saturday, he took one on the chin this Saturday, 49-7. <laughs> one you and two, Iowa pick- gets on the win column. Good grief. 
You got a Sparty figured out. I mean, you, you, you turn it over seven times, lose to Rutgers. Then you go pull an upset at Michigan. And then you go get blitzed at Iowa. Good gosh. Oh, what yeah, a three weeks. Crazy start to their season. It's been a crazy start to the Big Ten season just in general. Iowa needed that so bad. And we'll see if that turns them around now at one and two. Speaking of turn it around, that's what Penn State's looking to do this week against Nebraska as Maryland is up 28-7 to at halftime over the Nittany Lions. They end up winning 35-19, but again, the game really not that close. Penn State scores 12 in the fourth quarter. It was 35-7 entering the fourth quarter, Greg. Just a disaster of a start for the Nittany Lions. And, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty toxic in State College right now as well. I got nothing on that game. I, I don't even know where to begin. I, I don't know. <laughs> How about... Okay, let's go here then. How about Maryland's Twitter account the last few weeks? Oh, oh man. I mean, for a program that hasn't won anything, yeah, I guess they're taking advantage of these wins while they're getting them because they are throwing some shots across the bow with some of these opponents with uh, Minnesota last week and Penn State this week. It is just not good right now for Penn State and Maryland uh, taking advantage of making fun of them while they can. All right, we'll finish it up with Minnesota and Illinois. We talked with Andy Greeter in our Big Ten Blitz last weekend about something have to give either Illinois' offense or Minnesota's defense, and it ended up being Minnesota's defense getting the better of the Illini as Minnesota wins 41-14. to Mo Ibrahim, Greg, 30 carries, 224, and four touchdowns. He has... 94 carries through three games. 94 carries for Mo Ibrahim in three games for the Golden Gophers. I don't know how much longer he can do that in this league. It's a lot. And we talked about this a lot a year ago with Jonathan Taylor and how many carries Wisconsin was giving him. He's he's built for it better than Ibrahim. Ibrahim's not that thick of a guy. That's a lot of punishment. Sure is, and still the meat of their schedule left yep all right let's go ahead and jump into top 25 finals starting with the big one in south bend fourth ranked notre dame number one clemson the irish hold on in double overtime 47 to 40 the final score kyron williams with a monster day for the irish 23 carries 140 yards three touchdowns trevor lawrence's replacement dj uagalele 29 of 44, 439 and two scores. He's thrown for almost 800 yards in the two games without Trevor Lawrence. They're fine at quarterback. So for all the shots that NBC kept showing to Trevor Lawrence, he's not the reason they lost this game. Um, what's what, what do you anticipate happening from this between either of these teams at the end of the year? Yeah, I asked Adam that last hour. I'm like, can you envision – Clemson and Notre Dame both making the playoff. He says, yeah. He said, if Notre Dame doesn't lose, but Clemson wins the rematch in the title game, and it's a close game, he goes, yeah, I could see both those teams being in the Final Four. I don't know. Maybe. Um, there's still just so much football to be played. What happens, you know, in the rest of the SEC? What happens to Oregon? Does Oregon look impressive all the way through in the Pac-12? Does a Cincinnati make build enough of a case? So I don't know. Great win, great game the other night, good win for Notre Dame. Irish students stormed the field, if you didn't see that. And did you see the uh, the letter that the Notre Dame president sent out regarding them yeah. storming the field? Yeah. Kudos to them. That was a pretty harsh letter with all the requirements and stipulations of the students now leaving for break and coming back from break needing to get tested. Um, after they decide that storming the field would be a terrific idea after Notre Dame trying to stay isolated. One of the teams that had an outbreak just a few short weeks ago, and you've got students rushing the field after a win. Doesn't make not, a ton of sense there. But yeah, anyway. not far, but what are you going to do? You've let them in the stadium. Yeah. They win like that. You're not going to control that. That's what's going to happen. They're college kids. They're going to do that. Yep. All right, let's go to Jacksonville, 8th-ranked Florida, 5th-ranked Georgia. We expected some points. I don't know that we expected this many, especially from the Florida Gators. 
The snap to Trask. He wants to throw it toward the end zone. It's going to be Trey Grimes. He's got it. He went up the high at six feet five and made the catch. And the Gators lead 37 to 21. Kyle Trask, 474 through the air, four scores. Florida wins over fifth-ranked Georgia. Hands the dogs their second loss and take total control of the SEC East. 44-28, the final. We needed to see a lot more from Georgia's offense. It's clear they just don't have a quarterback that can hang, especially of Trask's caliber. Big win for the Gators, getting Georgia and basically etching their uh, half into the SEC championship game. How sick does that fan base have to be watching the guy you talked about a few minutes ago tear it up for Ohio State? I mean, they got to just be yeah. sick. Going, really? Yep. We couldn't find a spot for him? Right. Yeah, we, we wanted Jake Fromm instead. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, that's how it's got to hurt. It's like a bad decision. Houston and Cincinnati in Ohio. Six-ranked Bearcats win at 38-10. to They're now 6-0 and and Pretty really good. playing good defense. Luke yep. Fickle's bunch is playing hard and playing well. I do right think now. they, I do think they may stumble yet. Uh, I, they have to go to UCF and then they have to play somebody pretty good in the AAC title game. I still think they could trip, but they're they're solid. Yeah. Back in the SEC, A and M rolls up South Carolina, forty-eight to three. Boy, this game's never close. Kevin Kellen Mond, excuse me, Kellen Mond becomes the all-time passing touchdown leader in A and M history with four scores against the Gamecocks. Where, where does he go 12? in the draft? Is he a top 10 I don't pick know. or not? No, I don't think so. No? I don't think okay. so. I'll probably, right. yeah, probably a little later than that. We have Pac-12 to talk about for the first time this year. What better way to start than out west at Autzen Stadium in Eugene as Oregon takes on Stanford? Cyrus Sabibi Likio gets the ball up the middle. Powers, 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 no doubt. Touchdown, Oregon. He was not going to let anybody deny him that goal line. Oregon drops the hammer on Stanford. The 12th-ranked Ducks win at 35-14. Good start for them. And Pac-12's kind of looking at Oregon saying, uh, if we're going to get anybody, it's going to be you. Yep. Um, they're solid. I asked Adam about them, too, last hour, and he said they look – they look the part. Can they look that way each of the six games and then win the Pac-12 title game? They'll have a chance because people thought they were going to be pretty good all summer long before all this got monkeyed up in the last four months. To the Big 12 we go for the first time. Oklahoma State on the road in Manhattan taking on Kansas State. Boy, this was a nail-biter, and it came down to a couple of crucial plays in this game. The Cowboys were able to escape the little apple with a win. Third down and four, Kansas State at the Cowboy 21. 13 to 12, Pokes. 6.48 left. Howard keeps it, running straight ahead. Fumbles the football, and the Cowboys catch it out of the air. Running down the right sideline, Jason Taylor to midfield. He's going all the way. Good night, Vienna. Hello, Jason Taylor. Touchdown, Oklahoma State. Pistols firing. What a turnaround. Man, what a back-breaking play if you're Kansas State. And you end up losing because of it. You're in field goal range, and your true freshman quarterback just flips it right to the other guy, and he runs it back there. K-State then came back, scored, went for two, and didn't get it. Uh, Cowboys, big win if they're going to try to get themselves in the Big 12 title game. That was a big win for them. Now 5-1 and one on the year. Coastal Carolina remains unbeaten with a win over South Alabama, 23-6. So the Chanticleer is up to 15 in the polls. What is happening? We're living in a world where Coastal Carolina <laughs> is ranked 15th in the country, Greg. They're, what, 6-0, something like that? 7. 7-0. Seven seven and and I mean, we talk about BYU and Cincinnati. We probably ought to be keeping an eye on those guys. They're, they're rolling through people. Chance Nation, stand up. Coastal Carolina, 23-6 and uh, six win over South Alabama. Let's go back to the Big 12. Baylor and Iowa State. The Bears are off to a terrible start to the year. We're out 21-10 over the Cyclones. Brees Hall and company just too much, though, for the Bears in the end. Third and five. Purdy takes the snap. Has time. Throws left side. Hall touchdown. Wide open. Brees Hall, his third touchdown tonight. And Iowa State leads it 37-24. Reese Hall, the best running back in the country, you think? Pretty good. He's pretty good. Uh, the kid at Clemson in bad. I might yep. lean him. 
31 carries, 133, and two totes on the ground. Had that receiving touchdown as well. Brees Hall, the difference for Iowa State over Baylor, 38-31. Cyclones now 5-2 on the season. We would talk about Oklahoma and Kansas, but no need. No need. 62-9, final score. Move along. Should talk about, however, the end to the Arizona State-USC game. Yeah. USC ends up with a pretty improbable comeback to win 28-27 over Herm Edwards. My upset pick falls short, Greg. Pretty good game. Really interesting game, wasn't it? Slovis throws the ball 55 times. For the Trojans, Jaden Daniels tries to pick up where he left off, left off for Arizona State, but they fall by a point, 28-27. Texas holds on for dear life and beats West Virginia 17-13. That would have been a disaster for Tom Herman, but they're able to escape with the victory. All right, let's move to some National Football League from yesterday, shall we? We have one game in progress right now, and the Jets leading the Patriots. We'll get keep you updated on that throughout the show as well but the Atlanta Falcons quietly three and six they went over Denver 34-27 big day for did they come back Matt in the last Ryan. two minutes of that one to win uh they did not well okay. maybe. Right. Uh, let, let's see when uh we'll have to look it up because Denver right. did score 21 points in the fourth quarter but I don't think the lead exchanged hands okay from, from how I remember that game ending Denver had a chance uh like late in the fourth quarter to go to down and it. try and tie it and yeah they weren't able to do it. but So that's two close games in a row that they've won. I <laughs> just haven't done it in the final two minutes. Well, we had a buy-sell question regarding Seattle and Buffalo. We all yep. picked Seattle to win. Yep. And Buffalo hangs 44 on the Seahawks. Monster day for Josh Allen. 415 yards, three touchdowns passing. And the Bills and Seattle, their second loss and improved to 7-2. and two. That was a huge win for Buffalo. Sure was. I didn't see that coming, but all right. Good job. Buffalo's a playoff team, and I don't think they're a Super Bowl team, but they're a playoff team. When Josh Allen is accurate, uh, yeah, they're pretty scary. The Titans hold off the Bears 24-17. The Bears, again, try to make it interesting in the fourth quarter, scoring all 17 points in the fourth period, but Tennessee wins it 24-17. The Ravens beat the Colts. Good win for Baltimore, 24-10. Defense really dominated in that one. The Ravens couldn't move the ball at all on offense in the first half. They get a defensive score. Uh, Phillip Rivers throws another pick, and the Colts just can't score at all in the second half. They're blanked all 10 points in the first half for for, uh, Indianapolis. You just couldn't help yourself. You had to get a little dig in there on Phillip Rivers. You just couldn't When he he deserves it, he gets it. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Boy, the Chiefs and the Panthers was a lot more interesting than people might thought. Christian McCaffrey... Took things over for Carolina. Yeah, Matt Rule. We're gonna we're gonna alternate series. We're not gonna give him a workload. How about 18 carries and 10 targets on your first day back uh, for Christian McCaffrey? But he injures a shoulder, so it doesn't yeah. sound like he's gonna play this week. And a 67-yard field goal attempt from Jake Sly is nowhere close, and the Chiefs hold on for a 33-31 win. Everyone wants to talk about Russell Wilson for MVP. Can we start putting Patrick Mahomes in that uh, conversation? Yeah. Uh, yeah. His last couple of weeks have been outrageous, and Mick Steiner is now curled up in a ball because he has Christian McCaffrey and can't catch a break. Well, he gets, gets him, him for one for week, one and guess who he plays against? Is that you? Me. Are you yeah. three and like six now or something like yeah, that? I'm a, yeah, I lost again this Ooh. week. My team scored like the third most points in the league, and we lost. I don't think you're going to uh, make the playoffs. Tough. tough deal. Tough deal. How many teams um, make the playoffs? I don't even know. What's the deal? I in think our league? six. I'm not sure. We'll have to go back and look. But yeah, uh, Mahomes nine touchdown passes in his last two games for Kansas City. All right, let's move to the NFC North. Big rivalry between Detroit and Minnesota, and it was a pleasant day for a former Husker against his old team. Lock in there by Abdullah, the former Lion, got the ball. He's got an open path to the end zone and to the pylon and out of bounds at the one. They closed quickly. 21-yard, oh, it's a touchdown! How about that? Amir Abdullah, 22-yard touchdown catch for Minnesota. But the workhorse was Dalvin Cook, Greg. 400 scrimmage yards in the last two weeks for Dalvin Cook. He's over 200 against Detroit, scores three more times 
the man is just a machine right now. But good for Amir getting in the end zone this week. Yeah, it's been. I don't think. I don't. I think it's been a year or two since Amir has scored a touchdown. And Dalvin Cook is a part of Josh's fantasy team. Josh is just blowing people up right now in our league. He he is just running away with this thing. Yeah, you get Dalvin Cook and Kyler Murray, Travis going on Kelsey, the same team, and, and it's just it's yeah. it's good night for everybody else. The Giants get a couple of big picks against Alex Smith and the Washington football team, and the Giants have their second win. They're now 2-7, 23-20 win over Washington. The Texans beat the Jags 27-25. Another big day for Deshaun Watson. Two-point conversion falls short for Jacksonville to tie that thing up, so Texans win by two. Did he catch the end of the Raiders-Chargers game? I did not. I knew it ended down near the goal line, though. Chargers throw a pass in the corner of the end zone, a fade route. As time expires, call on the field was a catch and a touchdown. Chargers would have won 32-31 after review, incomplete, game over. Vegas wins at 31-26. So Chargers, unfortunately, on the short end there, and they fall to 2-6 and six on the year. But good football game there. Justin Herbert, probably a lock to win rookie of the year. Pittsburgh 7-0, Dallas 2-6, Dallas fourth-string quarterback. This was going to be a blowout, right? Wrong. It it was uh, Pittsburgh hanging on for dear life and and going down and taking a lead against Dallas, and what a game it was in Arlington. Garrett Gilbert will it be the play of his life. Steps up, throws to the end zone, and it's knocked down of the Steelers. Once again in the game, defending a pass in the end zone to stay unbeaten. Steelers 8-0 back-to-back weeks, as Nance called it last week against the Titans. Pass to the end zone, incomplete. This week against the Steelers, pass the end zone to win it, incomplete. Pittsburgh holds on. Greg, they had to score 15 points in the fourth quarter to beat Garrett Gilbert to win 24-19. But wins, a wins, a wins, a win, move on. You never know in the NFL. I mean, that's the thing. Even the worst teams can hang with the best teams if they're off a little bit. And that's what the beauty of that league is. But, man, I still cannot get over Pittsburgh still being undefeated at this point in time in the season. Crazy. Sure is. Miami beats Arizona in an absolute shootout in the desert, 34-31. It was unbelievably fun to watch Kyler Murray and Tua Tungabailoa go blow for blow in this game. Kyler with a monster game. Had 283 and three scores through the air, added 106 yards and a rushing touchdown. But Tua, Greg, 2-0 as a Dolphin started. We're now 5-3 in the AFC East. How about that family right now? The Maryland upset on Saturday, and then Tua goes and gets a road win in the NFL. Pretty good week for that that group. There was like 14 selections from the panel of the NFL games in primetime to pick the Saints and the Bucks. Everybody picked the Bucks. Everybody thought Tom Brady would win at home. Except for New Orleans. Nope. Speaking of Winston, he's now with the Saints and backs up Breeze. It's second down and 10. Breeze under pressure, throws, and reaching for it is Emmanuel Sanders for the touchdown. This thing was over two minutes into the second quarter. 38-3 to the final score. 31-0 at halftime, and Tom Brady looked utterly baffled all night long and just couldn't do anything. That was as dominating of a performance as I've ever remembered. Biggest loss in Brady's career. Just looked awful. Just looked terrible. Horrible. Horrible yeah. game for the Bucks. They'll try and turn the page. And Authentic wins the Breeders' Cup, who won the Kentucky Derby, runner-up in the Preakness, um, won by a couple of lengths. So big win for Authentic yeah. in the Breeders' Cup. I didn't see highlights of that. Tis the law, I know, was in that race, too. I did, I did not see any highlights of that. Mentioned the Masters is coming up this week. So is Bud Crawford's got another fight coming up Saturday night. So for your boxing fans, another big fight for Bud. It's been a while since he's been in the ring. I know a lot of boxing fans in our area love to watch Bud. He might be the best pound-for-pound pound fighter in the world. So that's coming up on Saturday. Look forward to that. All right, boys. Weekend winners, Ben. Yeah, my weekend winner, we talked about him a little earlier on the on the weekend rewind. Amir Abdullah scoring his first touchdown hey. of the year for Minnesota. Great to see him continuing to do, continuing to do good things um, for the Vikings and make a career. Cool. Tim? Uh, my weekend winner of Patriots fans, not only did they, <clears throat> excuse me, 
I'm going to see Tom Brady and Paloba now. They're losing to the Jets, and the tanking for Trevor plans all go into fruition. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> they ain't going to get that pick because they've already won a couple games, so they're way behind a bunch of teams like that. My weekend winner, Alex Trebek. Going to miss him. Yeah. What a legend. Uh, even taping shows as, as far back, just it was recently as about a month ago. Um, what a legend. The host of Jeopardy for all those years passed away over the weekend. And a second nod to the Carney Bearcats, who upset Bell West Friday night, 41-40 to in overtime. Big win, knocking off the number one team in the state. Sports Highly Hotline brought to you by the Woodhouse Auto Family, bringing you more choices in brands, locations, and service. Experience the difference. Purchase with confidence. This is Woodhouse. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, and all of you for being a part of this one tonight. Full practice report headed your way tomorrow night and another edition of our Top 10 Tuesday. We'll look forward to that. Have a great night.